And this section of Church Matters in our preaching series is focusing on relationships. We've been talking about marriage relationships, singleness. Now we're talking about how we interact with one another. Now in the Bible, because the Bible is very clear about many things, about who Christ is, about what is a sin and what is not, how one comes to faith in Christ, how one is saved. These things are crystal clear. And this is why we're people of the Bible. We want to know what the Bible has to say because the Bible informs Christians how to become one, a Christian, and how to live as a Christian. But keep in mind, the Bible, in particular, 1 Corinthians written two, was written 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. And Paul talks about things such as meat sacrifice to idols. And you may be thinking, Pastor, what has this got to do with me today? Well, you may not come from that context, but Paul gives us some truths. And we're able to extract these truths or these principles to help guide us and make our life decisions. For example, you may be wondering, is it okay for Christians to drink? You may be wondering, you know, is, is it okay for me to watch this movie or listen to this old music I used to listen to when I was a non-Christian? Is that okay? Is it okay for me to spend this money in this way? I mean, there's a lot of gray areas that the Bible doesn't specifically address, but God gives us clear principles to guide us, right? So there's various scenarios that comes up in the life of the church. But not only that, there are various type of Christians in the church, amen? I mean, globally, but also here at Evergreen SGV. There are Christians who've been walking with the Lord for decades, 50 years, 60 years, in the case of Sister Itsuko, I don't know, maybe 80, 90 years. I mean, a long time. Some of us just came to Christ a couple months ago. Some of us have been gone over Corinthians many times, over and over, over and over. You know what Corinthians holds. But some of us are barely opening up the book of Corinthians for the first time. Some of us are very strong in our faith. We know what the Word of God says, and we have great convictions. Some of us are weaker. Weaker in the sense of not knowing as much. And we're not as sure. We're not as confident in how to live. So what do we do when gray areas of life intersect with brothers and sisters who are weaker and stronger? This is what we got to talk about today. Because otherwise, relationships will be damaged. We have to know how to handle these situations. Amen? And so today, we're going to explore that how different gray areas and how different uh, 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 maturity levels interact in the life of the church. And, and, and by the way, it's a good thing that in Evergreen SUV we have various levels of maturity because just like a home, just like a family, it's important to have different people have different roles. Some pe- those who are mature take care of those who are less mature. Amen? We understand this. So Today, Paul, I believe, is giving the exhortation and encouragement to the more mature brothers and sisters. So if you consider yourself to be mature, listen very carefully. If you've been walking with the Lord a long time, listen very carefully. And maybe you're sitting there, I just became a Christian or I don't know the word very well. Well, this is what mature Christians look like. This is what you're striving for. Okay, so the onus goes back to the mature Christians to take care of the weaker or younger brother or sister. Okay, so the, the four points that we're going to talk about, I just want to tell you ahead of time so you can uh, track a little bit easier. Mature Christians are biblical, number one. Mature Christians are considerate, number two. Mature Christians are 
protective, protective. And number four, mature Christians are loving. All right, don't worry, we'll go over these things as we go through the sermon, but just want to give you a little bit of roadmap before we go on our journey right now. So what makes a mature Christian? Let's go to point number one. Point number one. Mature Christians are biblical, biblical. And we know that there's may, there are many sources of knowledge. I mean, we live in the information age. You can find information just by go searching it on the internet, read all kinds of books and magazines, talk to people who think they know what they're talking about. There's all kinds of ways to learn information. But as Christians, we need to go to the Bible because the Bible is true. And what we, what we, what we may be watching, listening to, hearing, reading, maybe filling our hearts and minds with a bunch of lies. So Christians, mature Christians, need to be biblical. That means we go to the Bible. We know what the Word of God says. Verse 4 says, it's Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, Paul just gets to it right now. We know. We know through the Bible that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and there is no God but one. Idols aren't real, Paul is saying. Through the Bible, we know this. And there's only one God. And in verse 5, Paul kind of gets a little bit sarcastic. He goes, verse 5, for even if there are so-called gods, he's addressing these idols as false gods. They're not real. They're not real. And they say, even on, whether they're on heaven or earth, meaning these gods at the time, they had their heavenly abode, meaning in their heaven, and they would come down to earth to dwell in these statues and these idols. So like these gods had two homes. They had like a summer home and a winter home, you know. <laughs> they lived up in heaven and at time to time they came down to visit with their earthlings, the humans, in these, in these statues. I mean, I'm reminded because I'm driving in my own neighborhood. My kids and I have a good time with us. We drive down the pretty big boulevard down in our neighborhood and there's this store. And I'm like... Oh my goodness, kids, you see this at the stop sign? Let's take a look at our right. Look at this. Look at you could buy your own God. I mean, at this at this shop, we call it the Mall of Gods. I mean, you got you got statues of Buddha, you got statues of Lady Buddha, you got statues of dragons and, and, and lions and all kinds of creeping things. You even got statues of mermaids, you even got statues of the angels. You, you, you could buy Mary and put her into your front lawn. You even got statues of Jesus. And it's interesting, as so many of these things, I, I could see some Greek gods in there, so Diana and other type of gods, and I was saying, isn't that interesting? People used to worship these things as if they're real and living. Here they are on this boulevard, and there's a bunch of statues here, and somebody carved them or created a mold to make them, and here they are, selling them to anyone who wants to buy them to put in their lawn. Now, I don't know if people worship them, but they might. They might use them to, as, a, as a source of worship. But anyone just driving down the street could see it. Oh, man, look at that. What a work of art. But there are no gods there. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul is basically saying idols are maybe carved images. Psalm 115, if you want to read deeper into idols. They're just creative things. But right here, Paul says something very interesting in verse 5. As indeed, there are many gods and many lords. What is he saying? Is Paul contradicting himself? As I go deeper into 1 Corinthians 10, uh, in verse 19 and 20, you can read along, but the Bible says that there are demons behind these idols. They're not gods, but there's demons. 
right? We'll cover this more as we get into chapter 10, but there are actually demons behind these idols. And now, how do these demons exercise their authority or their influence is that they promote and propagate lies so that you are and I are controlled by these lies. That's how demons work. That's how Satan works, right? Their boss, the father of lies. This is exactly how they work. But Paul is saying there's only power as, as far as you believe in these things. If you don't believe in these things, there are no, there's no power, right? Believing in lies is like being controlled by these things. Now, many people would say, many Christians would say, well, what does meat sacrifice to idols have to do with Christians today? For many, not as much. But for many of us are Asian, Asian Americans, and some of us are connected to the old country. I don't know about you guys, but this is Chinese New Year. I married a Chinese woman. I'm learning about a lot of different traditions and stuff. Like eating noodles, like not washing your hair. I don't know if this even rings a bell to you guys, but Oranges, you know, the Japanese people, uh, New Year's Day, we have these mochi things with orange on top, mikan on top. And we do these, a lot of these things out of tradition, out of custom. But there are deeper roots to these things. But we know that there's no power in these things, right? But if, it, if you do believe this, this kind of controls your behavior. This controls your attitude. But Paul says in verse 6, yet, yet for us, he's making a colossal transition. But for us, meaning Christians, we know there's only one God, and he's the Father. We know there's only one Lord. That's Jesus Christ. And by the way, our God doesn't live in heaven and have to come to a statue. Our God is everywhere because he created everything. He's making a big contrast. There's not many gods. There's one God. And by the way, he's also elevating Christ to equality with the Father. He's created everything just like the Father created everything. So Paul is making a huge contrast, and in Deuteronomy 6.4, he's going back to the Old Testament, to Shema. This basically was saying that there's only one God here, O Israel. There is only one God, Deuteronomy 6.4. And Paul is saying, we know this. So we don't have to be, to be led by these things. So in order to be a, a mature Christian, we have to be informed biblically. Otherwise, we'll be chasing after all kinds of Doctrine, just as much as it's windy today, we're going to follow after this trend, follow after this trend, follow after this thing that this person told me, follow after this article that I just read. Christians are informed biblically, mature Christians are informed biblically. But what do we do if we are mature Christians with this knowledge, this biblical knowledge? Well, that's just the start. Let's go to point number two. Mature Christians are considerate, fill in the blank, considerate. Mature Christians are biblical, first point. Second point, mature Christians are considerate. Being biblical is just the first step. That's just the first step. That's just the beginning. And then remember the principles that Paul talked about last week. Knowledge without love puffs up, but knowledge with love builds up. Verse 7 here, it says, however, right? There's a transition here. Paul is saying, however, Although we know the truth, however, Christians, mature Christians, Corinthians who have been educated biblically, who have been able to sit under Paul teaching, however, he says this, not all men have this knowledge, right? But some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol and to some real God. 
Remember this. Some Christians may be misinformed. They just don't know. They haven't had the chance to sit under years and years of preaching. They haven't been able to sit under strong Bible study. Right? We understand this. Or some Christians have been informed, but it's in their head only. It hasn't seeped down into the heart, as Pastor Marco talked about. It hasn't seeped down into the heart where it informs the heart, where it actually controls our attitudes, our worldview, our actions, our words. So we got to understand this. Not all Christians have the same biblical maturity. So how should we handle this? Because they, 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 carefully is what I would say. How should we handle this? Carefully because there are Christians in Corinth who are eating this meat and they're, they're feeling guilty. And their consciences were being bothered. I'm going... As I was preparing for the sermon, my mind was drawn back maybe 12, 13, 14 years ago. I forget when. All the years are starting to blur together now, but it was midnight. We were in the downtown Marriott. It was game night. That meant that next game, next day we're waking up early to play a football game. And as I did, I had my wife and my children, whoever were born at the time, with us in the room. That's kind of one of our fun traditions that we have. We would have ice cream. We would kind of watch the, some movie on the television and go to bed and get ready for the ball game. That kind of helped me get into the right mind. You know, it really did because it kind of kept things in perspective. As important as the game was tomorrow, my wife, my children kind of helped me have the right perspective. But we're sound asleep, and all of a sudden, the alarm goes off. Not the, not the bedside alarm, but the fire alarm was going off. The lights are blinking. It's loud. People are banging on our doors. I don't know what's going on. Wife and I look at each other, wake up. We grab the girls. And I remember distinctly walking down the steps, down the hotel room. And all of a sudden, we're in the, outside in the parking lot or the parking uh, turnaround. And the whole team is out there, and all the guests are out there, and people are like, what's going on? Is it a fire? Is it a fire? So we're hanging out there. I'm looking at the players and the, and the other coaches, and we're just talking. What's going on, man? Well, it turns out it was a false alarm. And I was thinking to myself, maybe it was like those Washington State fans are trying to pull a prank on us. <laughs> right? That's all right. So let's go back upstairs. And so we just knew that's what it was. But that's what your conscience is like. As Pastor Marco described, kids, your alarm, your conscience is your internal alarm. Where it goes off, it goes off when something you're doing or about to do is wrong. It's an alarm system, internal alarm system that God's given us. And we all have a conscience. Romans 2.15 says everybody has a conscience. Whether you're a Christian or not, you have a conscience. You inherently know what's right and what's wrong. And God's given us this conscience to keep us from doing greater harm. It's just like pain, right? If, if you hurt your ankle and it hurts, that means you need to rest. because Otherwise, you can have greater damage. Conscience. The conscience. And not everybody has the same conscience. Why? Because Christians have the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit energizes that conscience for us. And whatever biblical truth that we have, the Holy Spirit weaves that into our hearts, into our conscience, so that we could be led and guided by our new Holy Spirit-empowered, biblically-informed conscience. This is the conscience. And it, like I said, it's that internal alarm system that we have inside. 
And some of these Christians, in verse 7, they're eating the meat sacrificed to idols and their conscience were being defiled. This is a big word now. Defiled means polluted, corrupted. They're feeling guilty. They're like, man, I should not have eaten that meat. I should not have eaten that meat. The internal fire alarm is going off in their hearts and there's no peace. They're broken. They're like distraught. They're really troubled. Although they're, they've been misinformed, they haven't been have fully biblically trained in their conscience, they still feel bad. They feel very guilty. And the truth hasn't really set it, sunk in yet. All right? And in verse 8, Paul says, you know what? It's just food. It's not a big deal. It's a neutral issue. It's, food is not going to make you more spiritual. Or by eating it, you're not going to become more spiritual. And by not eating it, it's not going to harm you either. So what do you do with this? I mean, you are a mature Christian. You know better. Of course these idols don't exist. It doesn't matter. It's just food. Right? How do you handle this? But you know it's going to really disturb your brother or sister. What do you do with this? Well, Christians need to be considerate. Particularly mature Christians need to be considerate. We care for our weaker brothers and sisters. This is how this works. Although we know the truth, you know, we know that it's more to it than being right. Right? It's more to it than I told you so. Go and eat it. It's okay. If you know it's going to defile somebody's conscience, we want to be slow to go on that one. We don't want, and, but at the same time, right, we don't want to leave our brothers and sisters in darkness. So what do we do with this? Well, teach, teach, feed, them the, feed the sheep, right? Jesus told Peter, feed them, feed them the truth, feed them the truth, gently feed them the truth. And then pray and trust that the Holy Spirit in time will weave that truth into their conscience. Right? You don't want to pressure other believers to do something they're not comfortable with. This is critical that we understand this. As mature Christians, we need to be mindful, considerate towards other believers, how this affects other people. So we should be, we're armed with God's word. We should feed him the word, feed him the word, and then just pray that the Lord will help him understand. Amen? We don't need to be pressuring of them. On our team, I like to talk about this a lot. We had only three rules, three team rules. Maybe some of you guys have heard this already. You guys know this. Rule number one was always protect the team. Always protect the team. Rule number two was no whining, no complaining, no excuses. Borrowed from John Wooden, of course. And rule number three was be early. All right? But the number one rule was the biggest one. Because coach would talk about, hey, we always protect the team. Meaning, you no longer think about yourself on your own. This is not an individual sport. This is a team sport. And how you live and what you say and what you do affects one another. Rule number one was developing a conscience for the team. So this, this kind of on-ramps us into the third point here. Third point is this. Mature Christians are protective. Mature, mature Christians are protective, not of ourselves, but of others. And this rule, uh, t- rule number one, always protect the team, meant whatever I said in the media or outside, whatever I post on my social media account, my Twitter accounts, whatever I did, 
whether I got a penalty in the game or not, or the, how I live my life outside the building, outside the facility, affected our team. So keep that in mind. Whatever you do, know that this affects the team, for better or for worse. Always protect the team. Verse 9, look at what it says right here. But take care that this liberty or right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And as coach would talk about this, he would really, if there was a rookie there, they're hanging up for the first time. Okay, got it. But to those who heard it two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, people, they're veterans, those who've been around, he's basically saying, hey, look, teach these younger guys how to get it done. Paul is doing the same thing here. He goes, but take care that this liberty, this right, or this freedom that you feel like you have doesn't cause another person to stumble. This is very counterculture in the Corinthian uh, culture because in Corinth, freedom was considered the highest good. Freedom was considered the highest good. In America, I believe we pride ourselves in, on freedom and independence. Do we not? <laughs> this is like, I'm my own person. I could do whatever I want. I could say whatever I want. I could do whatever I want. These are my rights. This is what I need to do. But look, it's interesting in verse 9, it says, you don't want, we don't want to become a stumbling block. What does this mean, a stumbling block? All right, what does this mean? Let's turn to Romans, okay? Let's ro- turn to Romans 14. How this was helpful to help me to understand Romans 14. Romans 14, 22. Let's read this together here. Romans 14, 22 talks about this. He's, Paul's addressing, same author, is addressing the mature Christians. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. All right, those who are biblically informed and then have a right biblical conscience. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Meaning, before the Lord, because of the scriptures and before your conscience for the Lord, I could do this. I'm okay. That's great. Paul's saying, that's great. Mature Christians, that's wonderful that you're more freer than, than you used to be. But now verse 23 addresses the less mature Christian. But he who doubts, it's condemned if he eats. Okay? Because his eating is not, in faith, is not from faith. Meaning, eating something, doesn't, you, you don't believe it's right before God. And whatever is not from faith is sin. This is a big statement. So when this is caused to stumble, Paul is saying, don't cause your brothers and sisters to sin. Although a Christian may be misinformed, hear me now, although you may be misinformed, but in your heart of hearts, you believe this is not right before God, you're basically sinning by going against your conscience. Because in your heart, you're like, okay, I want to be loyal to God, and I believe this is not pleasing to God. By going against that, you basically go against God, and therefore you're sinning. In, in, in effect, do I want to eat this meat, or do I want to honor God? Although it's misinformed, I'm not a, a Christian is going against his conscience, and you begin to sin. He goes, you don't want to do this. He goes, brothers, you don't want to do this to another brother or sister. You don't want to do this. And here's a real-life uh, story that Paul adds here in verse 10. For if someone sees you who have knowledge, meaning if someone who you look up to, someone maybe a Christian leader, um, uh, don't want someone who, who you regard as a mature Christian, sees you dining in the idol's temple, right? 
Will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? What is that talking about? This is talking about a, a younger Christian, a weaker Christian, sees a more mature brother or sister eating in the temple's uh, 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 cafeteria or banquet hall. Won't that cause someone to stumble? Like you may ask, Pastor, why would a Christian want to be eating in an idol's temple? Think about it. Think about it. We've all been in that situation before. Right? Maybe we have relatives or friends who would invite us out to certain events. Right, So back in the Corinthian times, many of these, these Christians came out of that pagan worship. But they still had relatives and friends that, who celebrated uh, festivals. Hey, come on out. Eat with us. You don't want to sever those bonds. So you go, all right, sure, I'll come out. I know there's no real God, but let me just eat and hang out with you and fellowship with you. Right? It's just like how we would do certain things to kind of just connect with our old relatives or friends. And then you see someone who's weaker in their faith or younger in their faith sees you and goes, hey, brother or sister so-and-so is eating there. I guess it's okay for me to eat. So when it says strengthen, that means this is not in the positive. Strengthen means to be emboldened, to go against your conscience. To compromise, right? To compromise, and so this Christian compromises his or her convictions. He or she eats the meat because she sees her, her or his or role model eating the meat. And then she or he compromises. And then guess what happens? Verse 11. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother who say Christ died. You hear what this is saying? This Christian is ruined. This Christian is ruined. That means they're spiritually damaged. They're devastated. Like, oh my goodness, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. I'm a compromiser. I let my Lord down. I can't believe I went back to my old days of worshiping these idols. I thought I was true to the Lord. It's a big deal. Because people were so connected to the old days that even eating at the, at the temple banquet hall would mean that I'm connecting myself back with the idol. It's all about the conscience. It's all what you believe to be true in this way. For example, like I, a different type of story, but different, similar nonetheless. I, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My brother, Pastor Malcolm, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And I, God saved me at the University of Southern California in, at, uh, in 1998, I think. And then I became a coach soon after that, the very next year. I did drink at one time as, as an unbeliever. But then as a known Christian coach on campus where I had other colleagues, other coaches, other administrators, other staff people, uh, the undergrad players, I had a relationship with them. They knew me as the Christian coach. I didn't keep it a secret. All right, I was a Christian coach. And I decided, you know what? I didn't never really like drinking. It didn't like, I didn't, it wasn't something that I liked so much. But I decided, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. Now, is drinking a sin? Is drinking a sin? Some of us may say, absolutely, pastor. But drinking is not a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. That's a big, there's a big difference. Coming under the influence is a sin. I knew my liberties. Could I have a beer and still be okay with the Lord? I believe I could have been. I understood this. But... 
This is the, this, these are the things that excited. You know what? I don't know how profitable this would be for me to be able to drink. I mean, there's a lot of events. There are recruiting events. There's banquets where I'm around players and coaches. And keep in mind, I come from a culture. That culture is a big party culture. This drinking and partying was just part of the normal thing. Thank you, Pastor Victor. You got my back, see? Thank you. Thank you, brother. Um, So this is where we made that decision to not do this. So you may surrender some of your rights, some of your privileges for what's better for everybody else. This is how this works. Because verse 12 talks about this. And so by sinning against the brethren, wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Wounding, this word means like you strike, you beat up. Christians, we could beat up other people's consciences. You can by how you live, by exercising your liberties. You may be wounding other people's consciences, those who are weaker and younger in the faith than you. We need to take, treat the conscience with great care. Conscience. Because this is our mechanism. This is the, the, the device within us, our internal device that guides us into living into purity. We need to treat the conscience very delicately. It's good to promote a sensitive conscience. Think about it, brothers and sisters, especially those of us who are parents. If your children are very sensitive to what's right and wrong, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You should promote that. You should help cultivate that. Right? It keeps them from harm. But the more you deny the conscience, it's like those, like, like my dad's hands. I mean, if he ever had a chance to shake his hand in his gardening prime, I mean, it was like leather hands. It was ridiculous. It was like, it was like a, a sandpaper on his hand because he would work with his hands every day, cutting the grass, digging holes, hauling things up and down. I mean, his hands were just like leather. In that sense, it was good because it kept them working and not being, having blisters or anything like that. But what happened was as his skin was less sensitive. And the more you deny the conscience, the more calloused it becomes. Ephesians 4.19 says non-believers or consciences become callous. Ephesians 4.19 become callous and they don't feel it anymore and they just continue to live off into debauchery and sin. 1 Timothy 4.2 talks about false teachers where it's a gradual thing, where false teachers are constantly being hypocritical and their conscience are seared like a branding iron and now you can't feel it anymore. And they have no more conscience and they're just preaching lies and promoting lies. It doesn't matter anymore. You do not want to injure your brother or sister's conscience. You have to treat it delicately, treat it preciously. You don't want to encourage people to violate their conscience. Be patient. Teach them the word. Pray for them. And let me look at what verse 12 says. Let me, this is, there's a huge indictment. There's a huge warning for us mature believers those of us who consider ourselves mature, verse 12. And so by sinning against the brethren, that's plural. All of a sudden, Paul goes to the plural. Now, now by sinning against the brethren, this is talking about the church, the brotherhood and sisterhood, not just at Evergreen SGV, but the whole body of Christ. Meaning when we cause people to stumble in this way, this is a big deal now. We sin against the whole body. We sin against the whole team. It's not just that one brother or sister that stumbles. It's the whole team. 
It's the whole body of Christ that you're sinning against. And wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against not only the body, but the head, Christ. This is a very serious indictment. This is a very serious warning by our Lord. Where we need to be mindful of the whole thing. Rule number one, protect the team. Always protect the team. Mature Christians are protective, not of ourselves, but of the brotherhood and the sisterhood. We're thinking about one another. This is how this works. Finally, what are mature Christians? Let's go. And this final point is the culmination. This is where it's all been building up to. This is the summation of it all, right? Mature Christians are loving, right? We know this in our minds. We know this clearly. But this is the culmination, verse 13. It says, therefore, therefore, Paul is taking all that he said in chapter 8 and bringing it down and distilling it to this one point. Therefore, therefore, Paul says this, If food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Meaning if this causes somebody to sin, I'm not going to do it. I will surrender my rights, my liberties to protect my brother or sister from sinning. This is a big deal. I want to turn to what Brother Jerry Marr read. So thank you, Brother Jerry, for reading Matthew 18. Turn with me if you're able to. Matthew 18. Matthew 18 says this. Let's go to verse 4. Matthew 18, verse 4. talks about children. Children are fellow brothers and sisters. These are Christians that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 18, verse 4. Whoever then humbles himself as his child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We're called to be humble. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Meaning, if you receive another brother or sister, you're receiving Christ. Right? They see that connection, that parallel. If you sin against the body, you sin against Christ. You, you receive Christ, you receive one another. Verse 6, but whoever, this is talking about anyone, but particularly for us in the church, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, to sin, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone, heavy hundreds of pounds, ton, hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. I mean, there's many forces in the world that's causing Christians to sin. We understand this these days in particular. For it is, for it is that the stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling blocks come. Meaning, be careful. Be careful, Christians, because you could be that source of stumbling for the brotherhood and sisterhood. See, we're to look out for one another. This is a whole different mindset that, that many of us in this world are used to. Mindset says, take care, numero uno. Mindset says, take care, me, myself, and I. Mindset is, to, hey, I, I, I'm just going to take care of my family, I'm good. Mindset says, hey, I got to get mine. I got to get mine first, and then I could take care of other people. No, 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 no. Paul says some, something completely different. It's interesting. Even in the football world, we understand this. No, you're not by yourself anymore. You're part of a team. In Christianity, this is what Paul is saying, that we're called to love one another. Remember 1 Corinthians 8.1, love edifies. We're here to build each other up. Augustine. 
church father from the fourth century, long time ago, guys, long time ago, said this. Augustine says, as long as you love God and you, your neighbor, as long as you love God and your neighbor, neighbor, comma, this is what he says, Augustine, you may do whatever you wish and you will not fall into sin. Keep that in mind, brothers and sisters. Is this loving on Christ? Is this loving on the brotherhood, sisterhood? All right, it should be fine. But if for any other reasons, we might be guilty of sinning. See, agape love is the type of love that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 8.1. Love edifies. Agape love edifies. This is the highest form of love. This is, the, this is the sacrificial love of the will. This is where we surrender ourselves to love one another, to serve one another. See, maturity does not demand or, or secure our own rights and our privileges. That's not what maturity is about. Maturity is to say, okay, let me get mine. Let me, let me, as long as I got mine, I'm good. That's not what this is saying. Or let me be true to myself. God wants me to be true to myself. No, 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 no. Maturity says this, I will surrender my rights for one another. That's what Christian maturity is about. It's surrendering our rights. So let's go back to this situation. Can we eat the meat if we go back 2,000 years into the time of Corinth? Can I eat that meat? It's yes and no, right? Knowledge says yes. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Is, the idol is just a stone statue what I see on the, uh, at, at that mall of gods. It's not a big deal. But love says no. Or maybe not now. Right? So always consider, am I loving on Christ? Am I loving the brotherhood and sisterhood? So in conclusion here, as we wrap up here, remember this. As we're learning about Christian maturity what are we really doing? Think about it. What are we really doing? We're really looking into the eyes of Christ. Amen? Christ is the model. Christ is the one that we look to. Christ willingly surrendered his place on the throne and came to earth. Christ willingly surrendered his divine privileges and took on human flesh. Christ willingly surrendered his worship from the myriads and myriads of angels that were worshiping him, and he came to serve the created ones, us. Christ willingly surrendered his life and went to the cross. That's the picture of Christian maturity. It isn't any of us. It's Christ. Jesus is the one we look to that's why here at Evergreen SJV, we're all about Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word on maturity. Thank you, Jesus, that you make it clear. Thank you that you left your throne. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave up some of your divine privileges for a time. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you surrender some of the worship that was due to you and were mistreated by your own creation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you surrendered your life and died on the cross for us. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross, Lord. It's because of you we have life. So Lord, as we desire to grow as Christians mature into maturity, help us to remember you. Help us to consider you, Lord, in everything that we do, even if it's permissible in the word. Help us to consider how it affects our brothers and sisters.
Help us to discern in our heart of hearts what have you charged us to do where it's non-negotiable, where we will do this no matter what. And help us to know where these are just privileges that you've given us and which areas that we can surrender these things at a sake for love. So, Father, thank you for this time to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that somehow through it we will see your son and see him as greater for the humble servant that he is. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.